Hello, and welcome to the Real Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer McKee. I'm so excited to have you join me each week as we explore a variety of topics around life in the greater Palm Springs area. From real estate market updates to lifestyle topics, interesting people, food and entertainment, we keep it authentic and fun. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow Jennifer McKee Realtor on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube to keep up to date on everything happening in the Coachella Valley. Also, be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and like and leave a review for this show. I really appreciate it. And now, without further ado, let's go to this week's show. Hello, this is Ryan. Welcome to The Real Life Show. Jen is here. Hi. The Real Life Show with Jennifer McKee. I felt a responsibility (laughs) as the guest co-host in quarantine to open the show this week. Yeah, I've decided to let you spread your wings and fly a little bit. You did great. Thank you. I'm branching out in my responsibilities and roles. It was a lot of pressure, but yeah. uh, good opening. You. Yes, I everyone that. is sitting on the edge of their seat, waiting to hear what we're going to say next because of that amazing opening. Uh, the pressure's <laughs> on, and now we will disappoint because I'm just going to say thank you to everyone uh, for all of the positive feedback we've been getting. Um, I've been getting phone calls, and I know you've been getting communication from people about. The podcast, I actually had someone, uh, I was on the phone today with a in a conversation meeting with somebody and they had mentioned that they had heard the podcast and they had shared it with somebody and then that person had listened and they commented that they really liked our uh, interactions with each other and apparently said that we were very kind. And I thought, wow, wow. we completely fooled them. <laughs> and uh Wow. So yeah, I would, that was uh, very sweet, very kind, but um, obviously completely unrealistic because because uh, everyone knows you, uh, I am an innocent, simple man just trying oh, to survive, brother. and it's, so it's your Carol Baskin. And it's, oh my uh, goodness. <laughs> always trying to even, get me to go to the zoo and take trips to the tigers. I haven't even watched that show. Um, however, how can you not know who she is? Somehow I do. So <laughs> I, can, I can relate. Um, yeah, but yeah, thank you everybody. We really appreciate all of the feedback and the kindness. And, um, one of the things that we would really appreciate too is for you to go and leave a review, uh, for the show on Apple or other places that, you know, that you, wherever you're listening listening to or go to all of them, go to all of them. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it'd be a huge help. It really helps promote the show and boost us up in, searches and stuff so people can find it because it's got obviously a lot of um, positive feedback so yeah and I was just talking to someone earlier about this today another way that you can help or one way that you can help small businesses during this time maybe businesses that are closed or restaurants that are only doing takeout or nothing at all or whatever is to leave reviews for them because um we live in a review economy and people make decisions based on reviews. So you can help businesses by doing that even now. And so you can help my real estate business, not as well as my podcast, um, by going to all the places and leaving a review. If you've ever worked with me in, uh, or know my work ethic, and leave, leave a review. Go to Google, um, Facebook, uh, Realtor.com, Zillow. All the places. And if you want links, I can send them to you. Just email me, jennifer at jennifermckee.com. But that helps all small businesses. I've been doing that, leaving reviews for friends and people that I believe are doing a good job in their business because it can only help them during this time. So we've had a few folks reach out as well and ask about uh, sponsorships, um, getting involved in kind of advertising on the show. And so that's something that we are exploring and looking into. Um, maybe local businesses or those that feel like the audience that's now listening to the podcast would be ideal for them to connect with. If that's something that you're interested in, you can go to Jen's website, you can email us. And uh, so jennifermckee.com, which is the, uh, the company website and all that. And then people will reach out and take care of that for you and, and get a conversation happening. So um, yeah, how are you doing I've been very tired, but <laughs> how are you doing? I'm not sleeping well. I'm not. Okay, I, I pulled my Fitbit out of the drawer. I haven't worn it in like a year. And I thought, well, I'm. let's see how lazy I really am. <laughs> Apparently, I'm not moving a lot. Um, 
but it's tracking my sleep. And last night it said I had I woke up three times and had 13 times of restlessness. And no wonder I'm waking up exhausted. I'm not sleeping well either. I think it's just we're in a different place. The way we're living our lives is different right now for everybody. And I think lack of sleep, even if you think you're coping well, which I really feel like I am, um, I think sleep is a good telltale sign of how things maybe aren't um, smooth sailing. And, you know, it's not business as normal in, in our lives right now. So you're, you're going to see a disruption somewhere in your life, <laughs> whether it's depression or anxiety, which I, I haven't dealt with that recently, um, but I know many are, or if it's lack of sleep or whatever, how that rears its head, it's going to rear it in some way. But yeah, I'm not sleeping well either. Yeah, it's, everything's been goofy with the kids being home. Their schedules are all out of whack. And the schools, I don't know what's going on. They're not, not assigning any homework. They had spring break, apparently, was it last week? But then they were off two weeks before that. I just it's, don't know. The whole know. thing was so weird. So the kids aren't sleeping on any kind of schedule because it'll we're be... We're trying. <laughs> I mean, I try to get them up. But yeah, I mean, they're up till 1, 2, 3 in the morning playing video games with their friends. And, and, I, and coping, so right? If that's a coping mechanism at the same time, it's like... We want to make them go to bed early and all that good stuff. But at the same time, you also want them to. And I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying like, yeah, right. it's everything's out of whack. It's not like before you're getting up at 6, 630 every day and taking them to school and all that stuff. So now it's just so strange. But I don't know. I'm yeah, I'm tired a lot. I'm, some days I'm up really early. Other days I sleep in and I can't seem to keep myself on any kind of schedule, um, which is odd for me. But the girls seem like every time I see. Because they'll sneak into our bed at night and then kick me in the kidneys the whole night. So then I wake up exhausted. They've grown six inches because they're getting all this great sleep. But I'm like, yeah. So every night feels like they're taking up more and more space in the the bed. Um, Yeah. They're not toddlers anymore. They're becoming huge kids. But yeah, it's been a crazy time. And then my week has been crazy busy huge I know we talked about this last time how my phone started blowing up last week even more this week I'm seeing a huge spike in in people and all the numbers numbers of phone calls emails traffic on my website people reaching out thinking about listing um, wanting to refinance and get you know get information about that or or look at homes a lot of my friends and clients and people are coming out of the woodwork wanting to see homes when everyone was silent the first few weeks, I had six appointments, which is a lot for this time of year here because usually people are leaving the desert right about now or, they, or they've or they left already, actually. They usually leave right around Easter because it starts getting hot. It was 100 degrees today. Um, and then the season really ends after stagecoach at the end of April, and I don't think people are going to be able to leave in beginning say, of May. No, I, Well, or they're already gone, so that's why... Uh-huh. You know, especially with so many Canadian homeowners here um, that come here for the winter, a lot of them had to like they get, get out of town, the border, yeah. right? And so that's interesting. As Canadians, I had someone who a Canadian that was selling their home. We were making an offer on it, and we wanted a like a thirty day close. And they said, well, "We don't even know if we can get home to get our stuff like across the border. So can you make it like sixty or ninety days just in case?" So things like that, um, I have been watching all the numbers, watching, you know, all the, the, the smart people, <laughs> the, 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 when we say they say, it's the they I've been listening to. Um, and I found this interesting, major financial institutions, which like Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, just a few, um, are calling for a V-shaped recovery. So quarter two um, dropped drastically, V-shaped, and they're expecting it to drop or to go up very, recover, recover in quarter three very quickly in a V-shape. Says um, one of the JP Morgan guys says the COVID-19 recession might only be one or two months old, but a few signs of the always hoped for V-shaped recovery are starting to emerge. So that's really good news for a lot of people. I feel very hopeful. I said that last week. Um, also, I wanted to say this, a lot of people in the real estate market, and this would translate into other industries as well, I think in some ways, but a lot of buyers are coming in and trying to lowball 
come in for a good deal. And I don't blame them. I like to lowball. I like to come in and try to find a good deal. And a good deal can always be found if you're willing to wait on it and um, do some digging. However, now I have all these buyers that are making really lowball offers and they're not, the lowball ones are not getting accepted because most of the sellers, now there's the rare exception where the seller's desperate. I get that. But so far, I have not seen here sellers being desperate and they're not accepting lowball offers. And all the people, the they, when they talk about who, is it a seller's market or a buyer's market? The experts say that a seller's market is when homes are typically on the market, uh, let's see, six months or less. A buyer's market is when the average time on market is seven months or more. When you have homes on the market in between that time, six and seven months, that's a neutral market. Here in the desert, typically before the pandemic came upon us, average days on market, and we're talking average home price. We're not talking luxury listings, okay? Average days on market, 60 to 90 days. Sometimes it would, if a home is priced really well, it sells in a week or less. If it's priced overly priced or something's wrong with it of course it's going to be there's been homes I've seen on the market 100 days 200 days but generally speaking 60 to 90 days that means it is a seller's market technically not that it's not a good time to buy or whatever for a buyer however people think because we've had this virus in the stay-at-home order things automatically shifted to a buyer's market and as far as um, statistics go and the experts they're saying that's not necessarily the case yet. Well, one of the things you had happening here, too, was inventory. Um, it's been low. Inventory has been low. So <laughs> that tells you that um, there's not as much for buyers out there, and sellers can be a little pickier because there's more buyers. It's just a really interesting, you know, uh, it's like the perfect storm here. <laughs> you've got this virus that's hit. You've got the end of season when buyers think that, you know, they're going to have more power in the summer, which is typ- typical. Um, but yet you have low inventory and sellers are not, for the most part, accepting crazy lowball. Now, I talked to a realtor today that I hadn't met before, never heard of. Um, and he said, all of the sudden, He's like buyers are coming out of the woodwork to to view his listings and he's put three homes in escrow this week and homes are going close to asking, if not at asking. And I just think that's really interesting. Not that you can't get a good deal, not that you can't lowball or whatever, but you have to take in consideration the market, the seller, how desperate they are to sell, is the home vacant, all those things. So... I could talk about this all day, but I will stop. <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, it's the real life show. It's real estate. It's lifestyle. Yeah. It's also keeping things honest and transparent and being real and open and all that. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's part of um, the reality of where we're at. And the fact the quarantine factor is complicated things like in a normal market. You could just analyze numbers and look at the information, kind of make decisions. Now, everybody's sort of like, uh, how does the quarantine impact this? And. People who want to buy have a great chance to find great deals. People who want to sell have a great time, chance to get the best price for their house. And everybody's sort of in a weird, great opportunity, depending on what they're looking for. Um, so, yeah, I don't, it's part of the journey. I uh, One of the things that has happened in the last few days is because you've been so busy, um, You were we were going to have our conversation with... Carl Rigoli, and you got called in by somebody who wanted to go look at some houses, so I jumped on the call with Carl. You were so good at this, and you're hired. I quit. <laughs> um, but, so, yeah, we had a great conversation, and Carl's a really great guy because one of the things that you wanted to do with this show was have lifestyle type things so food and entertainment and all the different aspects of life in the valley and stories of people's lives and and the cool thing about living out here in the valley is you have so many people who have had 
great, interesting, exciting lives Such and careers. Such interesting people in their stories. They were stories. tired of the desert. They come out here. And then you bump into them all the time. So you're at a restaurant and all of a sudden you're having a conversation with somebody and find out that they were some big wig back on the East Coast or somebody in L.A. or an actor or whatever. And it's just they're everywhere all the time. So you just are interacting with people constantly. It's really fun. And Carl's this musician and a percussionist and somebody who that was my start. And so he and I hit it off, uh, you know, a couple months ago and we got connected and have just had a great time getting to know each other. So we, we had a fun conversation, and um, I think his perspective on life in the Valley and Sun City Shadow Hills and just being a, an, an L.A. performing musician coming out here uh, and, and his retirement. So I think it's a conversation that people will hopefully find interesting. And yeah. Yeah, enjoy. Carl, thank you so much for being on the podcast and uh, joining us today. I really appreciate it. You look like you're enjoying yourself there in your lovely home in the middle of quarantine. Yeah, yeah. Thank you Our, for inviting me. Sure, sure. Things are going well for you guys. Are you um, surviving through this kind of lockdown there in Sun City, Shadow Hills? Yes, we're surviving. Uh, we, we snuck out yesterday and went to a couple of stores early, early in the morning to get away from the crowds. They let the seniors in, you know, at seven and then at eight in the other place. And uh, so we were, you know, the masks, <laughs> the mass bandits. <laughs> we went on Friday to Costco, which was the first time I had been avoiding it. We It was the first time since the whole thing had the shutdown. And we both thought, you know, it's Friday. It's not the weekend yet. It'll We'll get in, we'll get out. It'll be really easy. It was a nightmare. I mean, because they oh, had right. brought everybody inside because the heat's starting to show up. Mm-hmm. So they brought everybody inside and looped us all through all the aisles before we it was before we could get to the meat section before you actually had free reign of the store. But I mean, it was it was probably an hour before we even got to shop, just getting in and then getting through everything. Yeah, I was like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I will order online. I will find another way. Yeah. It was, I was exhausted mentally and like emotionally. I wanted to cry. <laughs> I was just like. Yeah. And the worst part about it too is when you get home, you said, did I touch anything? Let me see. Did I do this? You know, I did It's that. weird. Yeah. You just spend the whole time thinking this is like potentially life-threatening just going and getting, you know, orange juice or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a long way to go. I'm way beyond your age. So, <laughs> so tell us a little bit, um, you know, about your journey. You came from the East Coast, then came out to L.A., uh, spent some years in the Hollywood film scene, and then have made your way out here to the desert. And uh, would love to have you kind of just recap a little bit about the process of what you've been on, you know, this, this journey of life. Okay. Well, um, I was born in New York City in, in a place called Astoria, Queens, which is becoming a uh, yeah, pretty popular again because it's very you know close to the city and get in there quickly and uh you know local schools but i did go to manhattan school of music and i studied with uh, my percussion teacher i uh, named morris goldenberg he was a pretty famous guy and uh, he was the one instrumental getting me into school so i studied there for um, four years with my uh, bachelor's and then i went on to get a master's degree in music education which helped me in the long run. So, um, but Mo was instrumental, we called him Mo, uh, instrumental helping me get jobs. I guess he recognized in the students who could handle certain things at certain times. But not only that, but uh, he would bring us along to sessions. And um, we went to see a bunch of the Victory FC sessions and they were held, uh, Robert Russell Bennett was the conductor. And, um, you know, uh, so that was kind of like, they still replay them somewhere, you know, about World War II. And, you know, so that was very, very, very interesting to see. And we met a lot of people. We were just students, you know, at the college. So he would do that. And then uh, occasionally he'd call and say, have a call up this band leader, you know, they have a job in the Catskill Mountains. You want to do it for the summer? And that's how I wound up working in the Catskills uh, for two summers and learning how to play shows. You know, we, we, we have a different show every night in the hotel and they were, they were entertaining people, you know. So they come in and guys, you know, some of them were older than me, some of them were close to my age, but most of them were a little older. And, you know, that went on. And then the, uh, I remember getting a phone call after, you know, playing around. I, I was uh, 
I got a job to work at the World's Fair in New York at uh, 1964. And it was through the same connection, through Mo Goldenberg, but through a guy named Tony Rongo, who was one of his students. He was older than me. And Tony was looking for a vibraphone player. And at that time, I was prepared. And uh, he got me a job at the DuPont Pavilion. And that's when the whole thing started. Then I met the guy that was, uh, there was, I think there was two bands. We did, uh, we played from you know, early morning, the middle afternoon, and then the other guys came on and played later. And the guys who are in those bands were all studio players. It's kind of a cushy job. And I guess the, the percussion players didn't want to do that. They were busy doing their you know, things. So anyway, the guy that was the leader was Billy Dennison. And he said to me one day, he says, I know you play all the percussion. Would you like to come? Because we're going to Atlantic City. You know, we'll be able to come, come back, you know, do the gig here. But uh, you need, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I worked there at the 500 Club for a week. I don't know, we used to travel back and forth. You know, we're kind of zombies at the end of the week. But we only worked five days a week at the uh, DuPont Pavilion, you know. So anyway, that's how it all opened. The guitar player was a studio musician. He was doing all the Motown dates. And uh, the drummer was another studio musician. I was playing the vibraphone. We had a bass player and the pianist. But the pianist was the one that got me on that. And that opened up the whole thing. Between Billy and a guy named Wally Richardson on guitar, um, he knew I could read on the vibraphones, you know, and play jazz. And he said, I have I, some guys like to meet you. And that's when I started doing some of the Motown dates in New York where Rita Franklin and the, the rest of those guys, you know. And she was just a you know, young person. And so was I. I think we're about the same age. And that opened up. And then I started working in the Copacabana because of, with this singer, Jimmy Rosselli, he would go in there. And everybody said, you know, we need a percussionist after Jimmy left. And when you, you know, you can do it, you do it. So I started working in the Copa as an extra guy, as a percussionist. And one thing leads to the other. The guy that was the, uh, one of the saxophone players, was a roving saxophone player, played all the, all the hotels and the shows and everything. And he said, well, I got a call one day. And he said, this is a Jimmy Caruso. I'm naming these guys. They're not even with us anymore. But, um, he said, can you come to the Waldorf tonight? The drummer quit last night. So we can, you know, use, because he knew my work, you know. And that's, I went to the Waldorf on my drum set when there was a big orchestra, you know, and the conductor for um, the act came up to me and was Phyllis Stiller and her husband. He was a singer. So it was like a, an hour show that he sang and then she did her thing too. Um, so the, the, the conductor was from the, East, from the West Coast. And uh, he just talked to me about the music and he said, just follow me. And we had like, you know, I don't know how big the orchestra was. It augmented from like a dance band from nine guys to all the way to 40. You know, I can't remember, we had a pretty good sized band. And I went, I was scared to death, but I had experience playing shows from working in the, you know, the Catskills and all that stuff. And the, the, beat, the, the band leader uh, came up to me with the conductor at the end and said, would you like a job? And I said, sure. He goes, well, I'd like you to play drums. And when the act doesn't bring a drummer, you play drums. And when they bring a drummer, you play percussion. So I spent three years playing all the big acts. One way or the other, you know, from 1967 to, you know, 70. And most of the conductors uh, that, that came over the acts, like we play Shirley Bassey, we play, uh, you know, Tony Ben, all these people that would come in to perform, a lot of these guys were from the West Coast. You know, they were traveling. And uh, so they came saying, why don't you come to California? You're, you're pretty, you know, you look like you'd fit in. Meanwhile, my wife's from California and she's from, North, you know, Northern near San Francisco. And she heard about that and she got all excited because she hated the winters. <laughs> I can understand. So, yeah, <laughs> so I was doing well, you know, really well. And we used to come out and visit. And then we finally moved to LA in 1970 and started all over again. You know, because the, um, the whole industry was moving to the West Coast. All the studio guys, uh, Johnny Carson show or uh, Carol Burnett show, a lot of those shows are coming out and there was work they were doing TV series out in, in LA. And that's what, uh, you know, so I just started again from the beginning. I had a, a reputation, which 
I don't know what it meant, but I was a good player. And the way you do it in LA is you, you know, you get gigs first, you know, you play anything and then you start doing rehearsal bands. And in the rehearsal bands uh, were the great players. They were the guys doing the Tonight Show and, you know, all the, the sessions. And those guys uh, rehearsed because they wanted to keep their chops, we call them. You know, they wanted to keep the edge on things. And, able to play at a minute's notice. They want to play flutes and bassoons and all that, whatever. Anyway, I started a rehearsal band and I had some guys and then those guys in turn, they find out you can play before you know it, you play, it's all for free. <laughs> you know, this rehearsal, that rehearsal. And you don't know who you're sitting next to or playing with. You know, some of these guys are playing, like I said, all these different TV shows and things like that. So it took a while quite a while. Meanwhile, I did, I was doing, um, you know, bar mitzvahs and weddings and, and clubs, playing in clubs, doing jazz things, you know, to make a living. And uh, the guy that I met when I came out through one of the drummers that came in to play at the Waldorf said, I, why don't you go to Earl Hatch's studio? And he has a reading group. The guys in the re we're all reading marimbas. It was six or seven of us. And that introduced me to Earl Hatch, probably the most well-known mallet teachers in the world. And I asked him, I said, Could, would you like, he said, would you like to study with me? Because I can help you. I said, really? I thought it was pretty good. He says, no, I've been watching you. So I started studying. <laughs> and he said, you got to do this, this. And then I studied with him for a couple of years intensively, you know, because we had, I had nothing, really nothing to do, basically, except go to gigs at night. And uh, so, how how old are you? Are you in your thirties at this point? I uh, yeah, nineteen seventy. I was thirty one in nineteen seventy. That's a big move to be doing in your early thirties. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I I was called to do some Broadway shows. I I don't want to do them at that time. Yeah. You go home. You wake up in the middle of the night singing the music, you know, and in the Waldorf you play a different show every week. In the Copa you play a different. You know, it was like very rehearsal and, and sessions. You know. Mm -hmm. So, but. You can't, when you have five feet of snow, <laughs> you know, things were changing, let's put it that way. They started changing then. So uh, it took a long time. Uh, then I started getting some calls by the guy that played saxophone in my jazz group. And then I played in this big band. That's where all the great guys were. He was a great writer. And I got a call one day to go work in CBS to do the Barnaby uh, Jones show. And I, my friend David used to copy and do, he was a ghostwriter. Mm. He was a ghostwriter for a lot of people that I mean, when I mentioned, and that's how it started. From there, then another guy at Paramount Studios, a guy named Carl Fortina. Uh, I had met Carl, but, you know, I called, but eventually he called me. There's a, a thing coming up, would you like to do? He was checking me out. You know, contractors talked among themselves. Sure. And that's where I did a lot of work. I wound up doing Bosom Buddies. I wound up doing a lot of the happy day things, Laverne and Shirley. It was going on before I, you know, started, but they would do series every year and then they do new music. Wasn't there a show that you were on that you said there was a little, I don't know if it's a glockenspiel or there's something, a little signature thing that was you that was always happening? Maybe. <laughs> you told me it was one of the shows that you, that you had done. It's like every time you hear that little thing, that's me. And I... Oh, that was on uh, Mark and Mindy. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Kind of thing we did. Yeah, it was a bunch of shows there, Best of the West. Uh, and then some other people would come in and do. Uh, we did the whole Shogun series there, mm. which was quite, I mean, that was, that was a good two weeks' work. Everybody did well. And uh, so it started happening that way. And, you know, I did fairly well. And it was going well. And then we had a big strike uh, around that time, after that time. And uh, then the work started going out of the country and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it started narrowing down. And fortunately, there was a couple of guys that used me that would use me, you know. But you got to work with, what, uh, Jerry Goldsmith and, like, all the John yeah. Williams, all those guys. Yeah, I did. Uh, and then John Williams, I did a couple of movie calls with him. You know, he doesn't know me, but sure, sure. Percussion people. But you were busy. I mean, you were working on a lot of TV, film, stuff, yeah. sessions. Yeah, it was busy, busy. Yeah. So, you know, you go in and you sight read, as you know, and, you know, sometimes you're frightened to death. It's kind of like uh, they say 10%. No, 
90% boredom and 10% horror. <laughs> and I did the little uh, mermaid cartoon series. I was the only percussionist. A guy named Dan Foliart wrote the music. And Dan used to use a lot. Sure. And he, they would just, you know, you, you name it, they wrote for it. And they would you just run around like a nut. Oh, animation. Those those days with animation, man, the music was just insane. All those time signature changes and everything's just... You know, you'd be playing and you had malice in your teeth. Yeah. Malice in your pockets. <laughs> you know, the drum... You know, sometimes you drop them. <laughs> and the guys break up. Yeah. So it all, you know, it all came about. And then I started working in the meantime with the L.A. Pops Orchestra. Hmm. For about 25 years. And the uh, same guys... Same studio players, you know, work stops, diminishes, everybody needs work, so the other guys move out. But the, the conductor, Carlos Vida, liked me because I was always with him, you know, when I was playing the drums. And then we moved down to um, Capistrano. He took that over. That went on for about 10 years. And a lot of other things happened. I did all my recordings of my jazz group that started way back in the 70s. The first one was... We just had some great players with me, and uh, all the music was fresh. And we went in and did two days of recording in a studio. And uh, years later, I started saying, well, we should do something with this, and I did. I had them remastered. And then after that, every year or two, I started doing side. I don't know, I think we got, I wound up doing nine or 10 of them that are live. And there's a couple, I, I did a couple on the, um, you know, the Logic Pro stuff on the computer. But it was invaluable experience, you know, because, uh, you know, where do you get this experience? You can't, you know, you can't pay for that experience. But in the meantime, when everything, you want to hear about this? No, yeah, absolutely. Started, sure, when everything sure. started changing yeah. and the work started becoming less, I started, I needed to supplement my income. So I started uh, substitute teaching and they put me in South Central LA, wonderful. So growing up in New York, that didn't bother me. But, you know, I was about 50, 51 at the time, whatever it was. And uh, so I had a, had a work and uh, things were, you know, happening. My son was going to college, he started. So uh, that led to, you know, kind of like uh, where the business just kind of fell away with computers. And then I wound up doing that in between all the other stuff for about four years. And then, um, yeah, we'd, we'd do a major dad with Roger Simon during that time. So I'd sneak out, you know, and I wouldn't, you know, go to the subbing or whatever I did. And, uh, but anyway, after that, I got out of that and I was, I went on the road again from Jim Neighbors for a little bit on and off to play drums. We did a few tours. And I said, I, I can't do this because, you know, we have a family and, you know, I don't want to stay away. So my wife uh, met one of our friends who was a principal in a uh, private school, parochial school. So I'm looking for a uh, substitute teacher. <laughs> so my husband is looking for, he's got experience, you know, I knew her. So I started there and she said, by the way, there's another school a couple of miles from here. They're looking for some teachers. And I went there, I talked to the principal and she said, well, let me try you out. I think I did in one day and she said, you want a job? <laughs> I said, under the condition that I could, um, you know, take off because I'm still doing some sessions. She says, yeah, as long as you don't do it, you know, ridiculous amount. I said, yeah, and there's a tour. They want me to go to Africa with Jim Davis on a cruise. So is that okay? Oh yeah, yeah, don't worry about it, we'll take care of it. So I'll start, you know, when I come back, we'll, we'll start a little later, you know. And that's what happened. And then I wound up teaching there for, 20, not music, 20 years I taught subjects. And fortunately I had degrees. Then I became a school counselor, went back to Loyola University, which was in our area, and I got a degree. So it was like that, in and out. And then finally, a few TV shows, you know, stuff would come in and, it's kind of petered out, and then I changed careers, which was very difficult for me. But I loved the children, and I, I was a pretty good teacher, I think. And the kids liked me, and uh, so I taught the fourth grade. 
And then I, you know, work with all the kids in the school as a school counselor. So uh, it was really fun. It's interesting that uh, transition from professional musician in in L.A. I mean, that's the for a lot of people, that's kind of the pinnacle. It's it's what they all strive for. It's what you go through, you know, music school for. Everybody's trying to get jobs in L.A., New York. And, you know, you had reached that point and then to make the shift into a completely different career. And in a lot of ways, you know, some people would say, you know, it's it's a step you know, down, you're going into, you know, go, just going to go teaching, you're not doing music anymore, you were at the top, and, and but really for you, I mean, the thing that's been interesting getting to know you is music has stayed a part of your life, it's just the shift, you went from, you know, performing on a really hectic schedule, now you're teaching, but you're still writing, and you're still having these outlets, I mean, I one of my favorite things has been that, uh, you know, I'll get this email, and it's some song that you've written and you send it over to me. Hey, I thought of you. I wrote this for you. And I'm just like, oh my word, this is like so great. This little jazz yeah. tune. And, and, um, yeah, I'm, I get tickled when we get the lead sheet or something and I sit down at the piano and start playing through it. It's just a lot of fun. So, but that has been steady as part of your life. So even though the employment changed, the passion was still there in a lot of places. It just, it just moved from performing to writing and other areas. Yeah, Which well, is great. You know, uh, well, you know, I, I, well, we decided to come here, you know. I said, well, you know, I used to come out and work at, and we're, I'm talking about India, Palm Springs area. I used mm-hmm. to come out and work out here a lot. And, you know, how did I get here? Well, all that stuff came along with me. So you talk about the law of attraction. Mm. You sit and you don't know when it's happening. Well, you, you know, and, uh, Somebody at the place here at the gym said, what do you do? Well, she sang in the choir here at where we live, at Shadow Hills. And uh, she, she recommended me to go talk to this music teacher at Cathedral City High School. She was a choral teacher. So I went in and spoke to them, and she invited the, the band director in. And I was talking, you know, I'm talking about, like what I'm talking with you about, it's supposed to be a pep, you know, like <laughs> thing, you know, for these kids about music. And uh, the guy says to me, you want to do some teaching? <laughs> so I wound up, there I am, back in the, but it was privately, private students, but they came in as percussion students. They came in like for a half hour each, and I did that for four years. Now, you know, on the xylophones, the timpanis, the drums, not the drum set so much, but the, all the other stuff, the snare drums and all that stuff. So I did it and individually coached them. And they, the school would pay me, you know. And the kids paid, they had to take lessons, private lessons on all the instruments, whatever they studied. So that went on. In the meantime, the, the guy, the, 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 the music uh, band leader said, hey, you want to rehearse tonight? I got some guys coming over from the College of the Desert to talk about, right? Yeah, and the guy came in, Anthony Besmeyer, a great guitar player. And he had a bass player and there was me on the vibes and the guy's name is Matt Howell the band director, he plays a drummer. So there we were playing. And I said, after we took a break, I said, man, who are you? You know, you, you're a great player. You're a great guitar player. You know, you should be in LA. <laughs> he's, like, he's like your age, you know. So I, he says, no, nah, I want to, you know, this is what I do. I teach at the college. And then eventually, whenever it was, he said, call me. He said, you want to, how about, you want some private students at the college? And I said, sure. We, nobody's teaching the vibraphone. You want to do it? I said, Sure. And then after that, a couple of classes, two or three classes. Like, what classes now, you know? And I had all the credentials, you know. I had to, you know, do that, break them all, get on, whatever you got to do for the computer. And uh, then I've been doing it on and off. And I just finished two students, like we're doing right now, you know, online. Imagine that given a, without, you know, no, we didn't have the marimbas, and so we had to worry about, you know, doing drum stuff. But that's okay; it worked. But it's cool how it's come full circle because you, you know, you go from the performing to the teaching, and now you're teaching performance. I mean, it's uh, oh yeah, of, yeah. By the way, I, I've done I know, a jazz concerts there, maybe six. A couple of my own, which you call my own, featuring. Then I did a bunch with the others and other groups, and I think. If they all open in September, October, there's going to be another concert, which I'll do, you know. So it's fun. Hmm. Well, I get a chance to play my music, you know, and uh, 
we had uh, some, I was working with some, some young people and they have jazz groups. So Anthony gave me a couple of groups to work with and they did a concert, you know, in May. They were terrific. They played some of my music. They wanted to try some of my music and they made a big deal out of it. It was fun. I was just, I didn't play. I just sat in the audience and listened. And That's so they were, I guess, motivated and they, knowing that I did what I did and my contribution. Because, you know, I wrote for a big band in LA for many years. Well, kind of a big band, you know. So I had the best guys to come there. I, I'm not really a conductor, I go one, two, three, four. You know? <laughs> but I know the music, so. So it, yeah, it's full circle. Then That's I met so cool. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To our neighbor, your wife was talking <laughs> to one of our neighbors. My husband is a musician. So he plays funny. the vibraphone. I said, "What?" <laughs> we are how, a we are a small collection. Yeah, <laughs> when and you find another like, vibraphonist, it's like you know moths to a flame. You stick together, and uh, <laughs> yeah. And I met you. We had lunch. Very, very, very nice thing. Yeah, yeah. And your wife is a very lovely lady. So. Oh, I appreciate that. She was wanting to be here today. She um, has been very busy all weekend showing homes, and we had we had planned this morning for her to to get together for the call, and then got a, she got a call from a client begging to see some homes before everything got hot. So she had to get out there this morning. And so anyway, but one of the things that you know she was going to ask as well was kind of the you were giving a, a little bit of background there on how you guys got to Sun City Shadow Hills because of the music oh. connections and all of that and then i'm curious when you when you guys came out here to the desert kind of looked at the area what was it about the community that you're in and what are some of the things that you love about it like why did you choose that community and why do you guys love being there well we we looked around we used to come to sun city we had friends there you know and we checked that out and we weren't really thrilled about what you know we wanted and so we came and uh, looked here, uh, they took us over and immediately it had a different feel. And it was like, I think a younger group of people, not that mm -hmm. I'm young, but this was six years ago. And we uh, were looking here, but prior to that, we were looking around for about a year. Mm. And as soon as we walked into this house that we live in now, um, I knew Karen, my wife says, she just went boom, you know, this is it. And uh, then we started asking questions and stuff about the place, you know, and we love it here. I mean, we met a lot of beautiful people here, wonderful people, good friends. Um, they're very professional people here, you know? I mean, we're rubbing elbows with lawyers and doctors, <laughs> whatever you want to say, and, you know? And they're nice people. We have, my wife has a group on the uh, our, our block here, our street we call it, and uh, all, all the women, there must be about 14, they get together once a month and have lunch at the restaurant here. And uh, then now they do something. Uh, they don't go on what we're doing on Zoom, but they do it um, on a uh, you know, telephone. And they have a good time. Well, now they're doing it once a week. Everybody needs to get out, I guess. And you're in a writer's group too, aren't you? Yeah, I'm in the writer's group. I've been in it for almost six years. Wow. And I started, I, my wife said, you got to do something, you know, besides music. I started going, I couldn't write, I don't think I could write, but I was a storyteller. So eventually, the stories after like three years of doing it, um, you know, people would laugh a little bit once in a while about the stories. And our, our leader, Tony Davis, he said, you should write, you know, do you write your memoirs? He was always, you know, saying that to everyone, and you can self-publish. And that's what I did. I had help, of course, and my wife would edit, but then I had a final editor, then I had, um, you know, somebody help me put it all together on the computer. And it's a wonderful group. We've had, I mean, some really great writers, but people that write books, he writes books. I mean, I don't feel like a writer, but I, I'm a storyteller and I still go. And now we're meeting like we're doing now, once a week and reading our stories and some of them are great. And I've been getting published in the, we call it The View, the ma monthly magazine. I think it's the fourth, fifth time so far this year. Fourth time? Yeah, three, four times already. Yeah, Jen brought home one. I think your face was on it, part of a group. There were a few people yeah. on there. Yeah, it was... yeah, it's kind of fun, you know. And they like, um, I spoke to the, the gentleman that runs it. 
the dentist and he said, yeah, we like the stuff. It's different, you know, like you like your stories. But we have gyms here. We have uh, two gyms, you know, one in each. We have a phase one and two is where we live in phase two. Beautiful gym. We have swimming pool, outdoor, indoor, jacuzzis. We have all kinds of activities, you know, uh, classes. And, uh, and then the other section has a pool there. And I've taken some Tai Chi classes there. Hmm. And um, I, I was working out, you know, in the gym. And sometimes I go to the other gym. And there's a lot of things to do here. If you yeah. don't want to do anything, you don't have to do anything. Right. Well, the thing that's inspiring about you, though, it's, I think one of the reasons why I, I connected with you was not just because of the percussion, but because I, I really am attracted and drawn to people that stay active, stay curious. Um, you know, you hit into sort of retirement years, and it's very easy for a lot of people to start shutting down, and, and they do just stay home, and they don't do anything, and um, you know, I, my, my own family, my own grandfather did that. I mean, he retired after 40 years of working in the factory and basically just spent his last few years just watching TV, you know. And so to find somebody who's still creating and, mm-hmm. you know, you're writing, you're starting into a new area that you really have never been into. I mean, that kind of stuff, I love that because I'm like, that's what I want my, you know, later years to be about is still pursuing new passions and new interests and being creative and writing and making music. And yeah, so it's... It's Keep inspiring. You Keeps, Keeps you, you young. Good. Yeah. Kids keep you young, too. You well. know, whatever age they are, I mean, sure. Yeah. You know. But, uh, yeah. I mean, Especially in a quarantine. Uh, <laughs> I'm exhausted. Yeah, you must be. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't envy you. Man. But, uh, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I love it here. Karen loves it here, too. That's we're really, funny. I mean, we're so fortunate that uh, we, came, we moved here. It was at the right time. You know, L.A.'s... You know, LA. It's a nice area, but it's crazy over there. You know, oh, yeah. You drive five miles, takes you three hours. Right? <laughs> so, and everybody, you know, I mean, it's easy to do things here, even yeah. though we're in this situation, right? Which will pass eventually. But yeah, I'm always doing something, um, you know, new and creative, especially mm-hmm. in music and writing. I'm, you know, I just, I'm writing something about masks now, about, you know, I don't know if it, Everybody has a mask. Mm. When I was a kid, it was Tom Ricks, it was Dick Tracy, it was, uh, you know, the Lone Ranger. And everybody had a mask on. <laughs> they were comic books, right? <laughs> I can't remember that. Sure, no. Comic, you know, and read them all. That was six. Then it came on TV. And then when TV first, we all had TVs when I was a kid. I see all these guys. But those guys had masks up here. You knew that they were the boot guys. But the guys that had the bandanas, you know, they were the bad guys, right? So now when you go in a store... We're all wearing that. <laughs> you don't know who the bad guy is. Yeah, but a good guy, and everybody's looking at everybody suspicious. Like It's a little strange going into the bank now with a bandana <laughs> on your face and, you know, give me some money. You know? But it's everyone, everyone's not, you know, it's it's totally normal now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, like yesterday, it's a couple of people looking. Everybody's looking at everybody, you know. So everybody's looking at everybody here, too. Yeah. How has it been there in the community? I mean, have they? I know they've been a little bit more strict because of the demographic that's in there. I mean, is, are things easing up? They've now opened up the golf courses. Do you feel like you can get around a little easier, or are you still pretty well sequestered? Well, and... I don't play golf anymore, but I, I saw some people playing. You know, they opened it up Friday. They have restrictions. They have to ride, you know, if they have a family member, they have to ride with a family member in the cart. Uh, have their own carts and so on and so forth. But they're opening the pool. I think the pools are going to open, but they have restrictions on that too. I mean, you mm-hmm. can't blame them. You know, before you know it, people will be, everybody be, and that's what I guess they're trying to avoid. Sure. You know, and with an elderly community too, you know, we're, we're more susceptible, I guess, to than younger people, as we've proven. So, but uh, I think eventually, you know, they're, they're doing it in stages. I guess the state and the county, uh, allowing so many things to happen at so much time, and then they get it from, I guess, Riverside. Like they close all the schools, you know, mm-hmm. whenever they feel like it's. So it's the same things happen. We have a, a really good president here, and he'll come on. He does podcasts and talks about, you know, what's going on and what you can do and what you can't do, and so on and so forth. You know, you got to wear a mask. You can not in your backyard, not in your house, not while you're driving the car. 
But if you go outside in the front, you need to have a mask because you never know. You go get the mail, you never know who you're going to run into. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows, you know. So uh, in that respect, uh, yeah, we still have rules. But I mean, I can respect that. Sure. I wonder how many of those uh, those new habits are going to stick around when this is over, depending, you know, when obviously when it ends. But I wonder how many people are going to keep wearing masks to the stores and we're going to have a lot of OCD kind of like. I have, I have a feeling that's going to that's going to last a while. I've been wondering. Yeah. Like we, you know, we subscribe to the McCullen Theater. Ever since mm-hmm. We go to like seven or eight a year of different performances. And we, you know, we were just very, we did it. And then we changed their mind because it's going slower because they're doing the new season. So even we wait, we were waiting till like even after the next new year. But you know, we say this, you know, this might not be a really a good time to be, you know, in a big crowd. So when if it does open up, we can always get tickets, you know, go right. see somebody that we like. Yeah. But, you know, uh, yeah. Jen and I have wondered about that. We've talked quite a bit, you know, because uh, even like with churches or movie theaters or, yeah, any place where you've got large crowds, you just wonder, you know, are people going to feel comfortable one to just all of a sudden jump right back into that? Yeah. Not knowing. That's, it's I think weird. that's one of the, the things that everyone needs to think about. So uh, I'm optimistic. Yeah. About it, you know, so, and I think that there are more people becoming so creative. Everyone is creative, whatever mm-hmm. they created it, but. So many people are becoming more creative. I mean, just from a lot of the uh, Facebook things where you see all these crazy things, but very, they're being very imaginative. I mean, so you're gonna, I, I was speaking to one of the people, you know, from The View, from the magazine that I had to speak to them. They're saying, Carl, you know, there's gonna be a lot of creative things going on. People, mm-hmm. <laughs> people are gonna be inventing businesses and oh, yeah. you know, who knows, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, and those that can adapt and pivot, and yeah, they're the ones that'll thrive in this new reality. Yeah, start thinking creatively, you know, out of the box, and start saying, "Well, you know, what can I do? What else can I do? You know, who knows? Yeah. There's opportunity, you know." So the main thing is to uh, to stay well and to stay friendly, and you know, be nice and help people when they need it, if you can, you know, and uh, then don't. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a ghost town out there. That's the only <laughs> really, thing that's a little funny, so not true. funny, a little scary. You know? like, where's everybody? No, it's, yeah, it's been really weird. But like you said, I mean, I think you know. Hopefully, it will. If we can just uh, look out for each other and take care of people, and yeah, I found this thing. I've been doing it for a long time, but I've been writing more music for people, people that I like, and family members. Mm. You know? I'm not trying to sell it. I'm not trying to do anything. I just enjoy it yeah. once in a while. Well, you know, I did a few for you guys, but but I sent, you know, I'll send it to somebody I haven't seen them. I get a phone call. What are you doing, man? You know, I said, well, I'm thinking about you, you know. Where'd you get that? You know, one guy's from, he speaks French, his family's from French, and I wrote something with an accordion. It's a beautiful tune, but he, you know, oh, fun. And it has the French sound. And I said, I, I pictured you on the Chanter whatever you call that, with uh, the oh, right. Eiffel yeah. Tower and all right. those, those outdoor cafes. And you say, oh, that's great, you know? So, and anybody, anybody that's, you know, maybe they, maybe they'll cheer them up. I gave him a fast version and a slow version, <laughs> just in case. You know, he's in my age bracket, you know. It's just in case you need something to bring you up or something to slow you down, you know? <laughs> but that's what I'm doing. I'm writing, I'm doing that. Well, it's lovely. I mean, it's, I think, you know, more people should be finding ways to create and encourage and inspire each other. And, you know, I, I love every time we talk, I always, um, come away, you know, I need to go work on that piece. I need to go write a little story. I need to go work on something. And yeah, so that's posing, right? I am. Good. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I've been pulling that back out, working on a little choral piece and then some other little piano string things. And yeah, just to kind of keep it active and, if we're going to do it, now's a great time. So, sure. The world needs more art. Absolutely. But. Music has been always been the uh, the connection. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, a meeting place. Whatever kind of music you like. Yeah. And it's soothing for the soul. Without everybody has a song to sing. That's right. In their heart. 
some of us never get it out. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate you. I appreciate you taking the time and sharing your thoughts and your story. And so thank you. Thank you. And, um, Jen says hello and I'll give him my regards. I will. I'll be ready. No, I appreciate that. Tell Karen we said and hey. Say and hi to your, I will say Karen, say hi to that your son that I met. I will, Jackson. Yes, definitely. Jackson, yeah, he's he was a nice kid. He's and eventually, kid. I'll give you some more magazines. Wonderful. Oh, some more of those percussion ones. Some more of those percussion. Thank you. Them. Yeah, no, okay. that sounds great. Thank you, Carl. Have a great one, and uh, we'll talk soon. Take care. Take care. Bye. See you. Yep. So thank you. That was so interesting. I love to hear his stories and his perspective on life here. And um, thank you for interviewing him, Ryan. Carl is such a cool guy. He's very cool. He and Karen both. And uh, yeah, I'm so I can't, glad that oh, sorry. we got to be, <laughs> well, get to know them and become friends with them. Yeah, and, I can't. What I was yeah. going to say is I cannot wait for this, for life to return to the point where we can got to dinner with friends and, and the Regolis are on the list. Yeah. <laughs> So now it's time for a Q&A. I have three questions oh, for great. you that you get to answer. So is there right and wrong answers? Yes. <laughs> okay, but can I just say really fast, a lot of people have been doing these Facebook quizzes, right? Because you're bored at home in the evenings especially and you're just scrolling Facebook and all these fun little quizzes that we normally wouldn't take the time to do. I did one where you answer questions about yourself, multiple choice, and then you put it up for other people to answer to see who knows you and ryan said that i got my own quiz answers wrong you totally did you don't even know yourself i know you better than you do i think you just lie to yourself about certain things but i see through it so so these are your favorite these questions are what are your favorite things and if you get them wrong i will point it out because i know what your favorites okay, are. okay okay let's see but let's you're see. You're always stuck with indecision, and so you're probably going to be like, true. oh, I really wish it could be this, or it could be this. I'm, I'm very, for those who are into Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENFP. I hate eliminating And as an INTJ, options. it's nauseating sometimes. But um, we apparently work well together, according <laughs> we to the listeners of the show. <laughs> um, so, question number one. Okay. What is your, and there's obviously a right and a wrong answer, what is your favorite food? <sighs> this is not cut and dry can you be a little more specific we just had this conversation a second ago are we okay decision making are we talking about favorite fruit favorite dinner favorite dessert food i will just keep it broad you can put anything in there that you would like pick one make it your favorite spaghetti there it is is that right sure (laughs) the next one is your favorite kid oh my word okay i have five it depends on the day. It depends on the hour. Not for me. I have one. Do you? Yeah. Who? I'm not saying. <laughs> I'll let them decide. It's whoever's costing the least amount of money, right? For you at the time. Uh, my favorite kid right this moment. I can't. I don't know. It changes by the moment. Whoever's not causing problems and fights. I haven't seen many of them today. <laughs> Today's been a good day. Oh my word! <laughs> I love my kids. It's been quiet. Um, the dog Spike, can, he can be my favorite. We've been having a lot of corn tantrums. You have been. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> and third question on the Q and A is your favorite coffee shop. And I'm not speaking of like brand. I'm talking about it could be brand and location. Like if you are really like the one in Indio and da, 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 da street. Okay, so I can't just give a flat answer, so I, there has to be a little explanation. My word. I know. I'm not talking about the best tasting coffee. I'm not talking about... I'm talking... When I say it's Starbucks, only because it's the easiest for me, and I have to drive through a lot, and I always know that it's going to be the same from location to location. And if I had to pick a favorite location, it's the Starbucks in La Quinta on Jefferson for two reasons. One is they're very quick. They are so friendly. And one of my very closest friends, Lauren, works there. And so oftentimes I can see her in the drive-thru. And like I said, I'm on the go a lot and it has to be drive-thru. So I'm not talk- saying that's the best cup of coffee in town. It's just the best 
most efficient for me. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you that that answer is wrong. What? What? Your favorite coffee shop is actually Casa McKee because I make you <laughs> coffee every morning. Well, for the most part. You've taken a little hiatus. It's I'm just calling you out. It's been quarantine. Yeah, so let's just say. But oh, I that do, is true. I you make a good cup of coffee and do. I bring it to you in bed most of the time. And okay, that that's should true. be your favorite. That was a trick question. It was not a trick question. It was clear. You cut. said favorite coffee it shop. It was obvious for everybody. Didn't you knows. say shop? Did you say shop? That part was okay. I'll give you that. That was a little bit of a trick. Okay, well then if we're going to go there, my friend Lauren and her husband Miguel are the best coffee makers I've ever had. And when they come over Fair enough. and they bring their espresso machine, it literally is heaven in a cup. Fair. I want them to come back over <laughs> when this is all over. FaceTime or Zoom coffee brewing and I'm just, drinking together. I want, if you guys are listening, my friends, Lauren and Miguel, well, you can always drop your homemade creation coffee at my door. I'm just saying. So favorite food was spaghetti. Favorite kid was Jackson. Was that what you said? I never and, said a name. Oh, nope. Taylor? Nope. Uh, favorite coffee shop was besides Ryan's Casa McKee coffee. Starbucks on Jefferson because it's easy and quick. So if you like quick coffee, go to Starbucks on Jefferson. Yeah. All righty. Here we go. That's our uh, that's our show. Good Q and A. Yeah. <laughs> now I think the people are all dying to know that. Thank you, Carl Regoli, for the conversation. Yes. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will see you next time. All right. See you then.